Hey, disguise. Hey, frisky. Give me just a second. I'm doing my back end bullshit right back. Hey, bad. Exquisite. Hi, hi, friends. Well, hello, Black Label. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy that um, my Twitter app is working today. It's nice. Uh, is it usually not? I mean, you know, you know how this works. Or like your spaces, your spaces yes. aren't working. Yes. <laughs> Got you. I feel like I've learned two things. One, turn mobile data off because it wants to jump off Wi-Fi, and two. Um, just be patient because it loads slow and um, takes like four seconds to do something. So, ripping pepperonis. Yeah, I don't know what's up with my Wi Fi here, but for some reason, if I'm on Wi Fi, no TikTok for me. Um, there's certain pizza places that like the websites won't load. And uh, I can't, the worst part of all is I can't read Laura Olympus every Saturday because it doesn't load Flash, I guess. Oh, so, yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> But yeah, how are things? What's going on in your world? Um, I, you know, I, um, I feel like you try to like plan your day out and you try to have some structure and then like you get a phone call and it lasts like an hour and a half in the morning. And then all of a sudden your entire day is like completely destroyed. I had one of those this morning. It was a good, good call from like a colleague of mine um, who's building a company and building a brand and stuff. And we were just like talking about just a bunch of stuff and it's great. But at the same time, it's like an hour and a half down the drain and I feel like everything else is like stacked up. So it's like, bah! but other than that, I feel, I feel good. I just have too many things going on. So. Yeah. I, I hear you. Um, I feel like, like, you know, now I'm doing two spaces a week and uh, that's four hours. I'm like, I'm like calculating where my time is going these days. I'm like, okay, that's four hours, which means I got to make a count, but I'm not selling anything. So this is awkward. Anyway. Hi, droppies and a T-Buzz Illustrata, Jeff K-R-A-P-G. Hi, friendos. Um, but yeah, uh, it, this is going to be an interesting conversation uh, regarding different types of marketing because I do use a very specific type of marketing, but that's going to shift very heavily when I start focusing on content and like actual delivery and things like that. So yeah, the, the future, like I'm, I'm very excited about the future, but at the same time, like I'm going to start doing my own marketing and I am a data potato. I don't really like doing the, uh, the content. So, um, we're, we're just going to like see what happens. I just, I, I hear you when you say you're doing too many things because that's about to be my entire life. Yeah. I think I'm looking at the next couple of weeks prior to the new year as being sort of like the last quarter mile of the marathon, you know, and I think it's, I think yeah. that once I cross that line and the new year starts, I think I'll be much more drilled down, but all these other things that I've been doing, I think it just, I have to see them through and I can't really stop. But I think as a new year comes, comes, you know, comes hitting us pretty hard here real soon. I think that focus is going to be absolutely key. Um, and we're all kind of, you know, a new year, everybody kind of starts over to a certain degree. You're building off of what you had, but you're, you're starting new things. And I think that it's, it's for me personally, it's a good time for that. Like it's coming at the right time, you know? 
guess that means that we're going to have to host a space about like 20, is it 2023? How old am I? 2023 goals, right? Is that, is that one of our next ones? Oh, I like that. I like that. I'm like, I hate it, but at the same time, um, <laughs> it's really important to have goals. Yeah. Wins like wins and forecasted wins, you know, I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm like the king of workflows over here. And uh, I think that having a, uh, a goal or a purpose in mind before you uh, get started is a good idea. Uh, but at the same time, that's not how I've lived my life at all. Um, when it comes to, you know, my marketing and the way that I do things, it's very do as I explore with you, not as I do. Um, but yeah, that's that's about to change really heavily. And I'm nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. But yeah, I am. Well, yeah, because I mean, I think when you put goals, you also put responsibility for yourself on the table and you begin to have like accountability for what you're doing and ownership over those things. And then that gets a little bit intense. I think having sort of having things open ended. Um, it's easier to not feel that intensity because you're not really like beholden to yourself. I mean, I'm, I'll speak for myself because I get, I get real serious. But if I put something, if I say I'm going to do something, then there's nothing that can stop me from doing that thing, regardless of how lofty or not the goal is. <laughs> so for me, like, you know, if I set something in front of me and I'm like, and I own that I'm going to do it and I, I, I hold myself accountable, then it becomes, I get real serious about that. And so I think that that's, that's where, that's where it comes for me. That's what, where that feeling comes from me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I think that a lot of people internalize like personal responsibility in that way. And I guess I do, but with a different angle. Um, I'm not so worried about, I don't know, failing and then it's my responsibility or something like that. Like it's not personal accountability in a way. It's making sure that I am doing everything right by the artist that I serve. <laughs> Um, and you know, with, with what I do, I came up with a bunch of like original research and I am one person and yeah, I test everything and yeah, I make sure that before, you know, the, the general public sees it, there's a reason I'm, I've been sitting on an Instagram workbook for five years and, um, the Twitter workbook for two years. Um, and it's because I want to make sure that I am doing due diligence to anybody who comes within my circle. So I guess it's it's less I'm accountable for myself and more, oh, my God, if I start scaling, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything right for the people that follow me. Gross. OK, bye. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a sense of responsibility from the community. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, as you build a business that's based on community that's a core part of what it is that you're doing, you know? And I, I feel a little bit of that myself, especially from us working together here in this space and working with people as well as like in the AI art world of things. I think I, I definitely feel a little bit of that. I've never really come at it from a place of wanting to be out there for myself and just, you know, sell my one thing or whatever. That's not really my, my vibe. And so I definitely feel that too. I think that, and, and the, the larger these things get, the more of a platform you have and the bigger audience and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I feel like there's, um, you know, yeah, it's an, it's a new world of things for sure. It is. It is. Um, heck, are we ready to get started? Let's roll. Let's do it. Let's heck and do this. Okay. Um, who haven't I said hi to KR? I think I said hi to you already. Layla. Hi. Um, I can't remember who I've said hi to already, but hi everybody. Um, welcome to our marketing space. Um, as most of you know, this is for everyone under the creative umbrella. So whether you are a digital traditional artist, photographer, sex worker, musician, streamer, author, web two or web three, whatever, 
you are all more than welcome here. Um, please let me first uh, direct your attention to the first pinned tweet above. If you are introverted, nonverbal, ESL, and just not comfortable speaking or not in a place to talk, um, please feel more than free to ask questions or comment in uh, that tweet above. Um, further, um, even though this first part is going to be a little bit lecture-based, um, very topical, um, you're more than welcome to request and like vibe on the proverbial couch with us. Uh, the space is yours just as much as it is mine. Um, if you do come up for the first part of this conversation before the first Q&A, um, please just make sure that your questions relate to the topic above about permission, direct, and relationship marketing. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, and one more thing, uh, in order to discuss the best marketing strategies, especially this one, I want to make sure that we have every single voice represented. So please, if you would share the room by clicking the bubble on the bottom right and hit retweet or just use the other uh, pin tweet above. That would be great. Um, I don't really have anything to announce at this moment other than I haven't planned anything to announce. Um, Black Label, do you have anything going on that you want to boost real quick? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm, I actually just finished um, yesterday minting to Manifold and having my own first smart contract, which is a lot of fun and a huge headache at the same time. Yay. That's cool. Um, and I put up three new pieces there and they're not listed yet. I'm doing like some pre-sales, uh, pre-sold one yesterday, which is awesome, which kind of goes into our topic today, by the way. And um, I, yeah, I got two other pieces that are going to be going up listing here in a few hours and they're awesome. I'm super proud of them. Um, some new work that I've been rolling on some ultra consciousness exploratory type of uh, vibe. So if you guys are into that, um, let me know. You can check them out. I'm going to be posting about it here in a little while. But other than that, we can jump right in. Let's heck and go. And congratulations, by the by. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody listening, um, what we want from you today is to write down any questions or feedback that you have in the bubble icon on the bottom right. Um, and again, this is a relatively open discussion to start. Um, we just want to make sure that we're staying on topic with uh, the topic that is above. Um, we do welcome, you know, friendly banter and things like that. So please um, feel more than welcome to request and um, ask us questions about these types of marketing. Um, share your own experience with marketing. Marketing. Um, we're going to get into funnels a little bit too. Um, and I'm positive there's going to be a lot of questions about that. So if you're interested in funnels um, within the different types of marketing that we're talking about, we can definitely open that up. Um, Black Label, where are my scissors? Nobody can scissor me again. What the hell? The scissors are grayed. I have scissors, but they're grayed, which means they're useless scissors. So I don't understand. I need to check my settings or something because maybe they, I don't know, clicked uh, singing my bobber so nobody can scissor me and I'm very upset. Okay. Um, for anybody that doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, Spaces has a scissor icon on the bottom right where you can basically like clip things. Um, so since we don't have that, if there is something that you learned here, um, especially that you want to share with other people, please again, um, use the bubble on the right side and uh, leave us a comment about what the heck you learned. Um, okay, on to the topic then. Um, so I want to talk about, we want to talk about, sort of, um, what is the most effective marketing? And what I mean by that isn't necessarily what is the most effective, what gets the most clicks, what gets the most sales, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but I want to make it very personal, um, mostly because different types of marketing appeal to people, artists, um, different companies, small businesses, whatever, very differently. Um, and they also contain a, a varied set of goals that make sense more than another one might. Um, so within this conversation, I want to analyze the three types of marketing that we seem to use in Web3 the most often and dig into those a little bit harder, more specifically, uh, most specifically, excuse me, because um, like I said before, there are workflows to be analyzed here. And I think that that's going to be extremely useful for giving context, not only to your products, but how you move and how you market and the things that you say. Um, so, for example, you know, we've, we've talked a million times about target audience and about um, collector values and personas. Um, if anybody's interested in collector values and personas, um, I can dig into that a, a little bit. But um, essentially what, what we talk about all the time is how to talk to your customers um, how to tweet to them, but not necessarily the context in which you bring them into your environment and convert them to sales. Um, so what we're going to do today is name permission, direct and relationship marketing and dig into the different tactics within all of those in relation to all of those numerous other conversations that we've had. And again, potentially introduce funnels, which is a whole ass uh, can of worms. Um, but Black Label, do you have any um, initial uh, thoughts before we, uh, we go in? Um, I think the only thing I'll say is like, the way you look at this stuff is important. And I think that anyone that's in the creative space, whether you're an artist or a photographer or any or the other things that Kino mentioned when we first jumped on, you know, you're, you are creating your craft, you're doing your thing, but at the same time, you also have to market. So I would say like the one pill that everyone really needs to swallow in order to move forward is to, and if you're in this space, you're probably, you've probably already done that, but is to accept the fact that you're going to have to be a marketer one way or the other. And, and as we go through the different types and the ways that you can market what you're doing, those types of relationships, um, I, th I think you'll end up seeing that it's a little bit less like cold than you know the traditional approach of marketing, and uh, can add some more value in that way. So hopefully that maybe maybe sets a tone, perhaps. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I frequently say that I don't market, and I don't think I'm lying when I say that necessarily because I don't have a plan. But at the same time, there's definitely some sort of strategy that's going on because I have built my platform. Actually, I shouldn't say strategy because it's not like I'm conscious about what I'm doing because I'm not. Um, I don't have a workflow. I just like share information. Um, but at the same time, um, my platform definitely uses elements of permission-based marketing. Um, let's see, where do I want to start actually? Let me start with direct marketing. Um, so direct marketing is usually what we think of when we think of marketing. It is your sleazy salesman who knock, knock, knocks at your door and has something to sell you directly um what it uh what it, what it includes are things like um catalogs direct response marketing which is like giving people a coupon um and having them buy something um from you immediately um as well as personal selling or that salesman element um online marketing telemarketing uh and direct mail or email marketing as well um now that's not to say that those elements are not involved in the other types of marketing they can be 
but that needs to be contextualized within a funnel. Um, so what direct marketing essentially is, is interruption. It is going directly to your customer, going into your collector's DMs and letting them know that you have a product to provide them. Um, it is commonly referred to as interruption marketing because it's literally what it is. Um, but also it does have a lot of negative connotation. Um, I'm sure that you guys are wary of like uh, YouTube um, advertisements, for example, or if you watch Twitch, um, you know, it, they, they interrupt like the coolest part of the video game that you're watching. And here's an advertisement about Coca-Cola, you know? Um, so it, it, when you think of direct marketing, you have to think about interruption. You are denying them access to whatever they were doing in order to um, take their time without their permission. Um, Black, do you have anything to add to that initially? I would say that um, from a, a traditional advertising definition, direct marketing typically refers to like those single flyer mailers you get in the mail that you throw away instantly because you don't care about what they are. They're, those are called like direct mailers traditionally. And I think that, you know, in our in the new realm of things uh, within social and other places, that's something that can be correlated to cold DMs. Um, or the types of things that Kino was just mentioning. And so it's just interesting how these things take different forms, but the effect and input's the same. So I just, I just find that to be interesting, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to direct marketing necessarily, do I? If anybody has any questions about direct marketing, it's, it's pretty straightforward and ha <laughs> direct. Um, so I want to get into permission-based marketing next. Um, reason being is that relationship marketing tends to be what we use in Web3. So I want to leave it at that, but introduce you to something that might be a little new to you um, and that we do kind of use with like collector's passes and things like that. But Again, the reason that we're talking about this is to bring context and a workflow and a funneling system so that you understand how you're marketing, um, what formulas are out there, and the provable ones, especially, that you can start integrating with your collections. Um, so permission. Permission-based marketing, I think, is really interesting, and it is what I use, although in a very long-form context, because I am an author. Um, I do original research. Um, so when we're talking about permission-based marketing and my relationship to it, um, I just want to make sure that we're contextualizing that permission-based marketing does not have to be long-form um, as far as your content is concerned. Um, more traditionally speaking, it is um, an offering of something that is, is short form um, or a product that you already have, um, but essentially you're, you're having them volunteer their information or their time um, in exchange for whatever value you have to give them. Um, so permission marketing strengths lies in uh, customer advocacy, which you guys know I preach, I adore advocacy. I want you to have advocates because that means cyclical return. Um, meaning, sorry, meaning um, the, the customers that you make, the collectors that you have, when you build advocacy, not only are they going to continuously buy from you, but they will continue to share your tweets, um, tell other people about you. And I, I just, I, I love it as one of the last steps within um, the, the conversion, um, the conversion elements of, of what a 
successful permission marketing um, workflow is. Um, so, okay, customer advocacy, huge strengths. Um, there's also an element um, that's called like goods and services where effectively, because of how personal your uh, products are, um, that means that your goods and services are going to be highly customized. And um, that also means that like the, um, the buyer base that is available to you it has already been established. Um, so that means that like selling is very, very easy at that point. There's also a very high conversion rate as a result, of course. Um, but the reason that I apply it so heavily to Web3 specifically is because of the uh, propensity for permission-based marketing to have long-term relationships. Meaning when you build an advocate, sure, they share your stuff. Sure, they buy from you. But you have established a long-term um, excuse me, use of their platform and their advocacy with them. Um, so that if you have long form content, if you are planning to do art for the next 10 years, as I'm sure most of you are, um, it means that instead of them buying one thing through direct marketing or buying a couple of things through relationship marketing, because you have led them to advocacy in a way that built a very heavy relationship and customized product, that means that your long-term relationship potential is enormous. Um, further, there's also reputation as well. Um, because of the advocacy, obviously, um, people are going to share your work. Your reputation is going to go up. Um, lastly, cost efficiency. Um, because you have uh, testable products, you have asked people what they want and uh, delivered that directly to them. That means that your cost to experiment, um, be it time or energy or money to build something, um, is heavily reduced because you already know what your customers want. Um, let me pause there and maybe I'll go into the levels. Um, but yeah, Black Label, any uh, comments on that one? Yeah, I think when it comes to permission, I think that we think about these things as, you know, they, they're, they've already converted. They've already converted on a, on a very easy level in the sense of a low friction level, such as, you know, as mentioned, you know, like an email sign up or something like that. And I think that you're, you're getting that, um, you're getting that level of permission as like a, as a first gate, so to speak. But that, that first gate, that first level of conversion is a sale in itself. Like I look at that as a sale, even though it's not a transfer of revenue for the most, for the most part, most of the time when we refer to this, it's not that sometimes it could be because, you know, if you, you know, you go buy something at a clothing store online and then you hit yes, you check the box for yes to be, you know, given, you know, news and that sort of thing through email, that's also permission based. And maybe there was a sale prior, but initially when you're talking about say like just like an email sign up or something like that, it's already converting. So the thing to take away from that in my mind is there is this level of intent already. Like those people who did that, if they did it through a process that is legitimate and not, you know, something shady where they didn't realize what they were signing up for or something, then they have intent to buy. They have intent to be involved. They have intent to be engaged with. And so I think that the permission is also intention and expectation. And I think those things are good to keep in mind as you market towards those people and as you try to bring them into a level of the next one, which is building a relationship, you know, you, you have to keep that in mind as like they had intention in the first place. So some people, I think when 
you get someone into a um, like an email list or something like that, you still look at them as like cold prospects and, and they're not, they're not hot, but they're warm and they have that intention to begin with. And so if you speak to them in that way, so, it, so let me go, kind of go off on a small tangent here because I, I think it's, it's pertinent. Um, when you, the way that you approach people when it comes to marketing, the tone in which you use and kind of the perspective is important. So what I mean by that, I'll give two like contrasting examples. The first one being cold, where if you're like, hey, this is this is this great offer that I have now, and it'd be great if you could really check it out. And, you know, so so wonderful. Come come buy it. If you haven't heard about it already, here's the link. And like that is from a perspective of that person knowing nothing about what you're doing. And if you have someone that has come through a permission-based funnel and they're they've signed up and you, they've given you permission, they have that intent, the way you speak to those people are hey, I know you were super interested in this thing. Great news. It's finally here. It's available now. You can go check it out like you were going to anyways. Just want to kind of give you a quick link so it save you some time. Now, the, effectively, I'm reaching out to the same people with a, with a similar message in terms of end goal, which is them purchasing something. But my approach towards them, the tone in which I'm using is different in the sense that I've, I'm taking their intention and expectation into consideration as I'm marketing to them. And the thought of wanting to make them desire what it is that I have never even comes up because I'm already, I'm already treating them with the expectation and um, the knowledge that they're, they already have the intention of being interested in the first place. And so if I were to speak to those people from the first example, there will be people that uh, mentally you create this perspective where you're separating them from the end sale to begin with. You're separating them because you're already assuming they don't know about it. They weren't interested already. You're, you're making those assumptions. And when someone reads that through, those words become their thoughts and that becomes their perspective on converting. So that second, the second example is significantly more effective and has a higher conversion rate because you're already putting the tonality and the assumption within the way that you're phrasing things into the idea that they've already signaled to you that they're interested. They've already decided they're going to be buyers at some point, maybe not right now, but in the future. Otherwise, they wouldn't have signed up for what you had them sign up for. And so that already gets them past that first gate. Because they're in that gate, they're spoken to differently. And then that leads to the next levels of relationship building, that sort of thing too. So the way you approach these people is not just how they came in, but it's the way you move them to the next level as well that's really important. And like the tonality and perspective in which you deliver that message to them is really different in terms of the effectiveness, depending on which way you go. Yeah. And that's why I talk about like those different values and conversion funnels so much. Um, I, I know I'm a bit of a broken record, but that's effectively what he's talking about is you never, 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 never make an assumption that someone is ignorant necessarily. Like, of course, you do have the uh, the discovery phase of the conversion funnel wherein um, someone does not know about you. And that does mean that there is some content that you put out there to bring them in um, at a, a foundational level to introduce yourselves to them. Um, however, I, I see a lot of artists post only that thinking that like their audience who's already following them needs to constantly be educated about your work and what you do. Um, so I preach making sure that you are not only following the different sects of uh, the conversion funnel, um, but also respecting all of the different target audiences that you might have. And on top of that, the different values that your NFTs have. 
um having mastered all three of those like you should have endless amount of content um and because um you you have a uh, uh, uh sorry you are conscientious, I think that's the word, um, of, uh, of the funnel. That also means that you are leading people to those advocacy stages, which is, the, again, like the, the ultimate goal and what I want everybody to be able to do, um, mostly because advocacy is one of the gateways to wealth. Um, but you know how I feel about uh, passive income in particular. Um, both of those work, uh, work together very well, I think. Um, should I get into uh, the permission levels real quick and uh, then we'll move on to relationship? Yeah, sounds great. Let's heck and go. Oh, wait, I have one question to ask for droppies and then I'm going to circle back around to direct. Um, I usually say yes, but I'm listening at the grocery store. Okay, no worries. Um, droppies asked, can we touch on how to create an advocacy network at scale? Um, there are different not different functions, that's the wrong word. Um, there's there's different moments where we have um, very different conversations and workflows on how to grow advocacy. Um, but what I recommend you do, let's see. I'm trying to think of if I should start from the bare bones beginning in the essentially like discovery phases of, you know what, let's go into it. Okay, so when you start with art, when you start with a product, when you start um becoming I, I hesitate to say an influencer um a, a salesperson whatever you want like put put that in there um when you first start on your journey um there is of course a discovery phase a moment of not only self-discovery but also discovering what else is out there and it is imperative that you allow yourself the time to learn and get over the fucking Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, it is effectively a, um, a bell graph of um, your knowledge and your um, humility versus, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, your, oh my God, black label, I'm dyslexic. Um, the relationship between uh, what you know and your ego about it, basically, um, over time, excuse me. So when you're new, you think you know everything, you're great, your ego's super high. And then in the middle, you realize how much you really don't know and your ego's very low. And then, you know, you have a nice healthy plateau. Um, I, I think that it's very important to respect that, that initial part of the journey. So if you are in those phases, um, what I would have you do is not have a conversation about how to create advocates necessarily, but have a conversation about what you are passionate about, uh, what you're passionate about learning. And then right after that, um, figure out what's called an opportunity switch. An opportunity switch is effectively where I don't want to sell you an alternative. Um, I don't want to just be another workshop. I don't want to just be another social media workflow. Nay, nay, I want to be a completely different offer that you cannot fucking ignore. Um, an artist can do this too. Artists can absolutely do this. Um, but that opportunity switch, I think, is what generates the most advocates at scale. Because again, you're not offering 
offering them more of the same or something that's a little bit different in a perhaps different format, perhaps different topic. Um, but instead, you are creating an undeniable ecosystem um, that provides and serves whoever you want to provide for. Um, so when, yeah, when it comes to like advocacy network at scale, I think that that is really where the secret is. Um, but obviously there is like numerous amounts of conversations within that, that we should have to contextualize that a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, Black Label, you have any uh, comments on that one before I uh, stop ranting? No, I, I think we're covering this stuff. I, I do want to, you know, some of this stuff is like super intricate. And if anyone has any questions, like absolutely request and we can kind of, you know, give some comparisons or maybe some more storytelling around how these things operate from time to time. I, I feel like both of us are like super, super data oriented in the way that we speak about these things. So there's definitely like human elements and, you know, there's tonalities and attitudes and there's all these other type of like organic elements to these things. And so happy to kind of jump down those rabbit holes too, but I just want to make sure like no one's sort of sitting there being like, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, we can definitely um, expand on that if you guys want to. Um, I guess since uh, we're off on a little bit of a tangent, let me answer Droppy's next question. I need to breathe. I am so sorry if I am speaking very quickly. I will attempt to slow down here. <laughs> Directy, uh, Droppy's, excuse me, um, other question is, um, if ads and cold DMs fall under the same unrelated, are they considered to be equally effective? Uh, question about direct marketing. If ads and cold DMs fall under the same unrelated, I don't know what you mean by unrelated, but are they considered to be equally effective? Oh, I think I see what you're saying. Ads and DMs. Um, Black Label, do you want to take that actually? I think that we are, uh, the reason that I ask you is because you do do the DMs. You've, uh, you've got a lot of data on that. So let's make, let's, I'll, let me start with defining a couple of things. So as effective, I, I would take that as, um, there's two different ways that you can measure effectiveness in this regard. One is conversion rate and the other is total, total sales or total conversions from that. What you get through a direct methodology that you do not get with relationship building or permission based is higher volume. So with direct, you can go after a significantly larger amount of people and target markets than you can with permission or relationship. And, and the reason why is because you can go after a lot more people cold than you can warm. So it makes sense. And your, your conversion rate is going to naturally be lower because of that. But in some circumstances, that cold direct approach can actually lend to a larger amount of gross sales. Um, that's how, I mean, just being very broad stroke with this. Um, that's, that's why people do direct marketing in general. That's why people send out the little one page flyers that you throw away because 1% of people convert from that. So they send it to every household and in a, a million household, you know, state or something, then 1% of those people will convert. They know that, or it's 0.1 or whatever the number is, right? They know that that will happen. And in some cases, you know, that costing them, you know, a dollar 18 cents or something is worth it because their customer acquisition costs may be that, but their return may be $5. So now, now it's absolutely worth it. I would send out 10 million of them. Absolutely. Why not? So I think that that it can be effective if you're looking at something that's at volume. Now going to say something like, let's switch over to web three. 
And let's say there's two projects. One, uh, one example would be a project that is like a PFP project or something, and there's 10,000 editions of something, right? That kind of sounds like a direct marketing thing to me because that to me is a volume game. In order to make 10,000 sales, you're going to need to get in front of a million people at a 1% conversion rate, if my math is right. And so that, that's a pretty significant number. And there's, it'd be, it'd be much more costly and, and burn a lot more time to go about relationship building with a million people or a hundred thousand to get 10,000, um, if with a better conversion rate than it would be to have direct marketing. The other example of a project would be like something like I do selling one-to-one, you know, fine art, uh, as NFTs. I'm not going to go, I, I could, I, maybe I should, I don't know, maybe I should go in front of a million people. I'm sure I'd make a sale doing that. But I think if you want to build a relationship for future sales and future engagement, it has, what's going to be more effective is going to be a, a permission-based or relationship building. Most likely in that specific case, it's going to be relationship building. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I had a pre-sale yesterday and it was because of relationship building. It was because of a relationship that I built with one of my collectors. Um, and I also now have a permission-based funnel as well as a sign up for collectors in my link tree. And I had people sign up as well to get early access to stuff that hasn't been list- listed yet. So now I have both of those running for me. Some of the, the permission ones, obviously in its infancy, I just started it a few days ago and have a handful of people signed up, but now those people are on permission. So both of those are going to be probably higher converting. I would say the relationship is highest converting in terms of percentage. The permission is in between because I would say they've already converted in order to be in the permission funnel. And then the the direct is going to be the lowest converting, but you have the opportunity for a higher volume in terms of actually getting in front of people. So hopefully... Hopefully that answers the question. That's not a direct answer, but but I think that hopefully gives perspective on the differences in conversion percentages and opportunity, uh, depending on the relativistic nature of whatever your project is. I've got a little bit more of a uh, direct response to this. I'm just thinking about ads and cold DMs and the relationship between the two or the, the juxtaposition rather. Um, so advertising, advertising, um, let me read from, uh, from Seth Godin real quick. Um, quote, you can define advertising as the science of creating and placing media that interrupts the consumer and then gets him or her to take some action. Uh, that's quite a lot to ask of 30 seconds of TV time and 25 square inches in the newspaper or on, you know, your Twitter feed. Um, but without interruption, there is no chance for action. And without action, advertising flops. Um, so when we think about advertising, um, what we are talking about is investing X amount of money into however many clicks, views, or I'm suddenly forgetting what the third one usually is for social media marketing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're investing X amount of money per click, per view, whatever. Um, but because of the organic way that advertisements pop up on your timeline, um, we are not, I think, practicing, um, right? We're not. Well, heck, because we are practicing... Um, 
we are practicing direct marketing, but it is less offensive, I hesitate to say, than DMing somebody outright. Um, now, to contextualize that, of course, if you have already had a sale, you have made a relationship um, or whatever, like you know the collector and then you DM them, that's a very different dynamic than anonymously messaging somebody, just like it's very different um, if they pop up anonymous, anonymously on the timeline because they don't know anything about you. Um, however, so if, if ads and cold DMs fall under the same umbrella, are they considered to be equally effective? I don't think so, specifically because of that juxtaposition of um, interruption. Um, because on the timeline, again, there's, there's nine different ways that the algorithm selects content. And most of that content... Sorry, the data is changing right now. Um, a lot of that content, shall we say, um, is not from people who you have chosen to follow or um, people who you have chosen through permission-based marketing to see their content. Um, so that leaves all of the other eight, which you have not chosen to see, um, unless you want to have a philosophical talk about um, training the algorithm. Um, but um, yeah, because of because of how organic it is on the timeline, I would think that um, heavily targeted geographic um, geographic data, as well as a demographic, psychographic, uh, behavioral, whatever, um, plugged into Twitter. Um, would be way more effective, vastly more effective than um, just like randomly DMing a whole bunch of people. Um, of course, there is going to be an expense to that. Um, but I was actually meditating the other day on a quote that was something like uh, to the effect of the, the person, the business that spends the most money getting in front of their customer is going to be the business that succeeds. And there is a lot of truth to that. And I'm not just talking about monetarily. I'm also talking about time investment, relationship investment, et cetera. So don't think that I'm agreeing with you have to spend money in order to succeed. That's not what I mean. Um, but I think there is a lot to muse on with that. So yeah, to answer directly, um, I think that advertising is extremely effective where cold DMing people, I would never recommend that, no. Any thoughts on that black label? Um, the cold DMing thing is, I think on social is weird and it's kind of cringe to a certain degree, unless you have something valuable to add. I, I, I probably would have thought differently about that at some point months ago, but now having so many people cold DM me every single day, um, I feel differently about that because I, I think, well, well, let me just say, I think that the difference is, is the, is your approach. Like you can cold DM anybody, but like if you cold DM somebody asking them to buy something or do something for you or whatever, it's a completely different approach than be like, Hey, listen, I love that post you had, or Hey, your artwork is amazing. I'd love to learn more. Like, where is it available at? Or like, Hey, I'm working on this other thing in this space that you're doing based on this topic you had. And like you, you, you present some type of relativistic value to having a relationship with that person. That's not around them doing something for you. And I think that that's really like, that's the big difference. So I think the purpose and intention behind whatever a message is that is cold matters, but you can also pull people into a funnel by doing that as well. I know because I did that with LinkedIn for years, building my agency, I built an entire client base um, for a strategy consulting and growth marketing agency, 100% 
from relationship building on LinkedIn. I never paid for one ad. Ironically, as an ad agency, I literally paid for zero ads. I built all my client base from building relationships from essentially cold DMs and connecting with new people on LinkedIn and building relationship, asking them how their business was going, what their goals were. And I wasn't like, hey, come buy this thing from me. It's all a matter of like your approach with these things. And I think that that it just really matters and makes a difference at the end of the day. Um, I'm going to roll to Droppies real quick, just because that was her question that I'll roll straight back to you, KR. Um, Droppies, what's up? Yeah, thank you. So um, I'm just going to make this this quick because I, I just wanted to add to the conversation, but I'm going to drop down here in a few so I can have some lunch. Um, but yeah, so my background isn't um, in marketing. So this has been really insightful and it's been interesting to get um, you know different perspectives. Uh, my background is actually in, in sales. And so I would would generally agree that like it's never a good idea to just like spam cold dms but i do think there's something to creating a persona of people and just like you create tweets crafted for like a persona and like a specific audience i would venture to say that uh it it would be effective to do the same thing in the dms so long as you're like qualifying the people that you're reaching out to first and then and that you've made sure that what you have to offer them is something that's going to actually impact them and make their life just a little bit better. I completely agree with that. Black, anything to uh, to add to that one? Uh, yeah, I think it just boils down to adding value. You know, I, it's it's. I think people who, those of you here right now, if you haven't marketed something that you've had before, or if you're brand new to it, or if you're if you've never been in a, a sales role or something like that. There's a nuance to these things. There's methodology and there's formulas for certain things, but it's not that cold. It's not that dry. There is a human element. Whenever you're speaking to someone, you have to understand that regardless of the circumstances, you're speaking to another human. And like the way that you approach those things can either add or detract value from that relationship moving forward. There's a, there's a matter of building rapport. There's a matter of understanding their communication style and things like that. I've sat on so many sales calls and, and spoken to so many people that I, I'll, I'll just shut up for five minutes let them speak and understand their communication style, the way that their words are being used, the way they formulate sentences, the focuses that they have during that. And then you start to understand how they want to be spoken to, because most people want to be spoken to the way that they're speaking to you. And so as you begin a conversation with someone and start to kind of start to add value to that relationship, all of that is marketing. All of it is, is sales building to a certain degree, regardless of what your intent is, whether it's a sale or just a relationship, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all the same thing. In my mind, I look at the same thing. I'm sure I could be argued one way or the other, but I, I think it's just a matter of like the way that you provide value to people in the way in which they want to get value. It, 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 there's a, it's both sides. You know, There's two sides of that coin. The way you give it and the way they want to receive it has to match up and be, and be a symbiotic relationship in order for anything to move forward. So keep that in mind as you, if you go to sell anything or go to, go to do anything else, it's not a matter of always people giving you something. 
you also have to give them something. Maybe that's a word of encouragement. Maybe that's, um, you know, a gift. Maybe that is a, a joke or um, you listen to them when they have a, a problem or helping them with something. Whatever it turns into, there has to be some form of transaction one way or the other, whether that be through communication or a literal purchase or sale or, or giving of something. Otherwise, it will die out and you have to foster that over time in order to kind of grow it and allow it to be fed and be healthy and keep that relationship as a positive one. Otherwise, they're going to walk too. So it's something that once you begin down that path, you have to nurture and grow and put value into it all the time. Otherwise, it, it won't it won't work out. Now, the only additive that I have to that, um, it's been almost a year since uh, we had this conversation last time, um, where there, there was there was a moment in the space where everybody was just holding collectors to the sky like they were gods. And that's weird to me. Um, I think it's weird to a lot of people, but it's also it's, it's, it's human and hard to avoid because obviously, yes, they do help us pay our bills. Um, but there is still a value exchange happening. And one of the reasons, again, the, the, the first thing that I teach um, is, is your, uh, your mission statement. And then when we, when we first start talking about advertising, um, we go into those collector values and personas, not necessarily to match you up to them, but to match you to the value of your work so that not only you understand how to talk about it, but you embrace what your art means to you and can mean to others. Um, so I just, I, I think that's enormously important and uh, two very, very great points. Um, KR, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. What's going on? Good. Yeah. I just wanted to say uh, <clears throat> in terms of DMing people kind of cold call style, I've had good success with um, when I notice a collector follows me, um, if I recognize them as a collector, at least I will uh, send them a quick DM just to say, hey, thanks for the follow back. So I'm usually following them first, um, take a look at their collection and comment on a thing that like I might like or similar work to mine. And that that's been successful for me, um, kind of gives you a reason to say hi. And it's just a simple, hey. And then I just say, if you have any questions about my work, let me know. And that's led to conversations. I have a very, very small social appetite. I'm not good at socializing in real life. So social media is very hard for me. But that, one, that one's simple. And I, I found it effective for me, at least. So just a recommendation. I was going to say, did, did you learn that one from me, friend? Because that's one thing I teach. Yeah. Um, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> then. Um, I just, I, I thought it was funny. Um, and yeah, like I'm one fucking person, like there's a million different ways that you can learn all my bullshit anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, so effectively that, that is practicing permission-based marketing where a collector has shown interest in you by following you. Um, which doesn't, if it doesn't necessarily like automatically mean that they want you in their DMs. However, due to that personal connection, I think that that definitely does open the door at least for some sort of introductory, hey, how are you? Send him a meme or whatever. Um, a lot of the, uh, the collectors that uh, I'm besties with, uh, I, as most of you know, uh, shitpost at and uh, then I make business deals with them. So yeah, that's, that's enormously effective, I think. Um, 
Black Label, you sent me a uh, thing about relationship. Um, do you want to uh, do you want to give the uh, the presentation on uh, relationship marketing? <laughs> that's, that's sort of a joke, but but yeah, I guess I um I've been playing with with Chat GPT all day, and um I just asked it to explain relationship marketing in the style of TED Talk, and it does a absolute phenomenal job at it. It kind of blows me away. Um, so no, I don't I don't know if I want to read this out loud, but it actually does like a really fantastic job with it. But um. I, I, in general, like relationship building, I think is something I, I sort of just spoke about it. It's just a matter of being able to be genuine with who you're talking to and, and what you're talking to them about. And I, I tend to, that's one of my strong suits. I think more than hardly anything else that I have is like core skill sets is relationship building. Um, a recent role that I, I just left earlier in the year was I was a director of strategic partnerships um, and in that role as a matter of you basically all it was was building relationships with people that you wanted to partner with the company and you it, it seems like it can be very businessy and cold and that's what but it's not it's literally just like hey jane how's it going and hey jeff and but it's a matter of like you build relationships with people and you make sure that there's value going towards them with that relationship and if there's not there won't be ever and so you can't force this stuff um, it's the same thing with collectors, with NFTs, or the same thing with having a business. If you have a restaurant or something and you're trying to have a relationship with the people that, that come in and out every single day, you're like your regulars and things like that, you have to build rapport with them and you have to be in their lives to a certain degree in a somewhat personal way that doesn't obviously cross a line, but you have a personal relationship with them um, as a person, as another human. And there's, I think... The permission-based marketing is still a, a sales front to a certain degree. And I would say that it's something that is still marketing. It's still sales. But once you get into relationship building, it crosses a certain line, I think, in a positive way. It can cross a certain line where as you're building relationship with people, you start to understand like what they're looking for and what their life is about and like the value that you can provide to them through that relationship, whether it be a great investment of buying my JPEGs or it's something that's a, a great meal at a wonderful restaurant that you love to go to all the time or whatever it may be, that may be the transactional outcome of that thing. But um, I'm sure that anyone who goes to the same coffee shop every morning begins to start to know their barista and you, you have a conversation with them in that way and you kind of become friends to a certain degree, even though it's relative to whatever that you know that circumstance is but that's what building rapport is and that's what building relationship is and as you start to do that with humans on a very like human level as not just a a sales point or a target marketed you know person and they're actually a human then that begins to the, the value that's added to that begins to amplify and snowball over time as long as you nurture that thing. And it can be extremely valuable as time goes on to have those relationships and make sure that you know, you've nurtured them over time so that they're still there with you and you're still providing value to them. Um, and so the process of going about that is, you know, it's very similar to things we've already spoken about as far as like having a conversation with them or getting involved in what they have going on. And, you know, there's a difference between DMing someone and giving them a link to whatever it is you have for sale and asking them uh, how they're doing today. There's a big difference. The second one is relationship building. The first one is being cold marketing, you know, so there's a very distinct process of going about doing it. 
But again, this goes back to the idea of methodology. That methodology, that formula is the same. Okay, find someone you want to speak to, send them a message. That's the methodology. The approach, though, and the tonality and the subject matter in which you send that message to them makes a substantial difference because one could be permission, one could be direct, and one could be relationship, but the methodology can be the same. So it's not always about the method. It's the way that you execute on that method as well. Um, so I want to add a little bit of context to this now, um, because there, there is a, a system. Um, and the reason that I want to talk about the system in particular is, again, because a lot of us use relationship marketing. A lot of us use a little bit of permission. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of people use direct and um, basically just expect the timeline to do the work of advertising for them. Um, so I want to give you another way to do things essentially. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll go back to uh, permission because again, like I'm a enormous advocate of uh, permission based and I would love for more artists to, to start using it and um, especially start creating funnels within it um, because <laughs> this is the gateway to wealth, um, but relationship first. Um, relationship has six different stages. Um, that first stage is kind of the same as that, uh, that first one that we were talking about. Um, it's plan. Plan is know who you are and where you're going. Um, it's effectively planning who your buyer persona is, who your target or dream collector is. Um, and then creating a culture, a brand, um, tweets, like however far you really want to take it around whoever that person is. Um, that second one is going to be attract. The second stage, excuse me, is attract. That is where you use um, like magnet leads. It's it's technically called, um, but it's where you you start to attract your ideal um, prospects, your uh, your dream, uh, sorry, your dream collector, etc. Um, and of course, most of us live on Twitter, so this is going to be through Twitter, um, SEO, any of your other social medias, um, and blogging and things like that. Um, effectively, what it does is start to define the relationship uh, marketing strategy um, because what you're doing is building the base of the funnel to help people discover you. Um, thereafter, what you want to do, stage three, is convert. Um, this is very different from uh, direct marketing because it heavily shortens the life cycle um, by helping you work smarter and not harder. Um, it's where we start to use calls to action. Please use calls to action. You all know how I feel about this. Um, it uses uh, calls to action in a very smart way. It also uses landing pages, a smart, perfect bio, um, and then email DMs and things like that to establish a foundation to really start building those relationships with people. Um, and then right after that, of course, is engagement. Um, st stage four is engage. This is where you have established, um, the, these people have discovered you. Um, you have provided, or they've provided access perhaps to their email address, their DMs or something like that. And like we were saying before, that engage stage is where now um, you are, I hesitate to say aloud, um, but you want to um, build what you know about them, listen to them, send them fucking memes, see what they laugh at, um, go and look at their collection and see what their aesthetic is. Um, 
that's uh i mean honestly like one of the the most important stages of course and that's what black label was talking about um but getting really good at that is hard and i do want to touch on that real quick um specifically because quantum quantum isn't in here anymore but uh we had a, a space a couple of days ago about soft skills um i do want to say that the relationship marketing system effective as it is, uh, you do not necessarily have to be an extrovert in order to participate in this. Um, so I don't want anybody thinking that like you have to go and make friends uh, with every single collector and every single person in order to establish rapport. Um, no, there are multiple ways of um, establishing advocates that doesn't necessarily rely on um, that, that very heavy forward facing um, engagement with other people. Um, so I just want to make that very, very clear. Um, the fifth stage, real quick, is uh, delight. I've talked about this a million times. Uh, delight is where you over or under promise, excuse me, and over deliver um, to the point where it just shoots your collectors straight into that advocacy stage. Um, do I think that permission-based marketing is way easier to do all of this? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, that fifth stage of delight is um, under promise, over deliver, um, heavily emphasizes client retention and uh, repeat sales thereafter. And then after that, very simply, stage six is to measure. It is to join the legions of the data potatoes and um, track um, what is working, do A-B testing and, and stuff like that. Um, that's not stuff that I will probably get into today. Um, but yeah, I, I think that relationship marketing is enormous um, because that, that formula um, if you contextualize that with, again, like the, the values of your NFTs, use soft skills that connect you with people. And then after that, delight your collectors by providing them something that they did not expect. That is a recipe for absolute success. Um, I want to like break that down and apply it a little bit, but I feel like I've been lecturing for five minutes. So I'm going to pause there. Any thoughts, Black Label? I'm, I'm along for this one. It sounds, it sounds good to me. Let me get Nate up here real quick. I hope everybody's doing okay, by the way. Hi, Brian. It's good to see you. Macis, Matthew, you've been in here a minute. Daniel. Hi, friendos. Hey, Nate, how are you? Uh-oh, is he up here yet? He's not up here yet. I boofed. I see requested still. Oh, no, I hope he didn't get rugged. I'll try that again real quick. Sorry, friends. One sec. I I totally got like rugged. Sorry about that. I I had a oh, connection no, no issue. How are you? Yeah, no, I, I didn't want to take up too much time. I just want to say I love the way that you just broke that down in a step-by-step, -step, like, easy-to-understand process. I cannot I'm – I'm just loving exactly what you're saying because – Quite literally, every no matter what I'm doing, whether it's crypto or NFTs or YouTube, the the personal relationship part of marketing has probably been my biggest factor when it comes to my biggest driver of pretty much everything, all types of success. And I think probably my only contribution to what I want to say just now is I think it would be very, very beneficial for everyone in this space to take what Kino just said, that step by step breakdown and kind of implant it sort of like subliminally as you go about your every day, like just uh, 
uh, engaging with your audience, engaging with each individual person that comes across your stuff. If you can remember, if you could just implant that sequence um, to where you don't even have to think about it, it's going to it's going to just come off second hand. Uh, being able to have that personal relationship. At first, you'll be like, OK, I remember what Kino said that one day I should probably check in on this person. I should probably build a little bit of rapport. But after some time, guys, it's going to feel so natural to where it's going to be like you're not even trying. Right. And so anyways, I just think that was superb. Great way to break it down. Um, and I could not recommend that enough. So thank you so much. Bless. Thank you so much for coming up. Um, uh, I get flustered when people say I do good job. I'm going to go away now. Black Label, help. Thank you so, thank you so of much. Course, of course, of course. I appreciate you. Um, God, like, again, I, I kind of want to break it down a little bit. Um, does anybody have any questions about that or something that we can apply? Um, Black Label, I know that like you use um, relation. Let me get the median up here as long as they look legit. Um, Black Label, sorry. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, how you use relationship as far as like if you have rather a, uh, a workflow? Um, I don't have one per se of like an actual outline. I kind of, I feel like every time, so here are my thoughts on that. I, every single time I've gone to create a workflow, it breaks. Um, and the reason why I say that is because every relationship's different. And I think that that is basically the workflow. The workflow is to, there's a input output. Maybe this is why I feel like I'm so good at doing prompts with AIs because I, everything's input output to me. So it's like, the way that you speak to someone, the way that they want to speak um, and be communicated with, I think are huge factors in the way that you build relationships. Um, but in general, if I, if I had to break down a methodology for it, I would probably say that you have to find common ground. There's common interest that has to be established, whether that's you know through Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever else, and you're in the same community or whatever, or you're um, trying to, let's say you're trying to get in front of someone um, that you're not connected to yet then you have to get in front of something that is common ground, like something you can speak on. And that's not shilling. That's not sending your stuff out. It's, you know, making a comment that's intelligent and valuable um, or a meme or shit posting or something. If that's the style, you're finding that common ground in communication. Um, and then that usually, if you do that properly and it gets seen, then it's something that can spark an initial um, value add in terms of building relationship with that person. And so I think that's really where it starts. And that usually creates the basis for conversation and for initial communication, depending on what that might have been. Um, sometimes that's not, um, you have to do that several times in order to get to a point where it's, it's okay to reach out and have a conversation with them about it. You know, if I go and start commenting on someone who has a million followers and I want to get in front of them, I can't spam them all day long. Um, and I also can't, you know, if they like a post of mine. I can't, I shouldn't just like DM them and start talking to them about that thing. That's not it either. So you have to find a, a source of commonality there. And then after you hit that spot and you're able to get in the door and have a conversation with them, I think there's a matter of being respectful of people's time and understanding like their nature of communication. If we're speaking about Twitter DMs specifically, you know, it's not like a, Hey, how's it going? And they don't say anything the next day. Like, Oh, I, I said something to you. You didn't reply to me. What, you know, you can't do that. I've seen people act like that. So it's like, you can't do that either. You have to be respectful. And if they want to have a conversation, they will. One thing is absolutely for certain 
And that is that you're never going to make someone do something they don't want to do. Um, and so I think that a lot of people mistake marketing and advertising as convincing people to do something. And that's not true. What you're doing, the, the proper way to go about doing it is providing value to someone. And if something is valuable, they'll buy it because there's value. It's, that's the definition of creating value. So you're creating value for something that is valuable enough for someone to invest in it or buy it or purchase it or speak to you about it, even if it's just a part of a conversation or something. And so you're not there to convince or manipulate or sell anyone. You're there to always provide value. And if you do that correctly, it will lead to some type of value exchange. Most of the time, that's money. Uh, most of the time, that's selling something. Most of the time, that's getting them in the door for something. And so I think that's how you have to think about it. It's not, it's not a matter of leading them to something. You have to make sure you're providing value to them. Sometimes that's just, just a perspective. And then people will invest in that, whether that be through communication or following you or getting your newsletter or buying something. Um, that's how the human transaction process operates. That's how I think about it. That's a very convoluted way of going to explain it. But I would say to break uh, th three, three quick steps. One, find common ground for communication. Two, open the door for communication. And three, provide value. Um, that's probably the, the most succinct way I could put it. The additive that I have right quick is don't wait someone to give you that wiggle room. And I'm not saying go DM them immediately and be like, hey, I have art. No. Um, what I'm saying is that remember those collector values and personas. Remember that there are conversion funnels that can also absolutely be part of this. So the timeline is there as a means of advertising. Cool. Um, but that does not mean that... Um, what am I trying to say? Oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. Um, the, the timeline is there as a um, as a, a method of communication, both to people who don't follow you, as well as people who do follow you. Um, and by being conscientious of what stages they are within the conversion funnel, again, kind of enfolds them within your environment without necessarily making assumptions that nobody knows anything about you. Instead, you continue to educate them and you continue to sure, passively build a relationship with them, maybe start building the foundations of that advocacy. Um, but when I say don't wait for someone to give you that wiggle room to establish a relationship, what I'm saying is make sure that you are doing the work. We're not sitting up here and saying that the relationship is just boom, established. There is some work that comes before uh, that rapport can be made. And make sure that you are actively pursuing your dream customer, your dream collector, whoever that is. Um, in a way that sure you can contextualize to the conversion funnel. Um, but then after that, um, I think that that, that relationship marketing system um, through planning, attraction, conversion, and then that engagement system. Um, and of course, delight thereafter, uh, please use delight, use calls to action. Um, that can be enormously effective, especially for a web three environment. Um, point um do you mind messaging me about what you want to talk about because i can't uh, validate you that would be great and uh, i want to go over to mediant real quick and uh, see if you've got a question for us friendo mediant are you there my friend are you just here here to chill hello hello <laughs>
completely agree um and to that median um you know what i'll i'll dm you about uh, about something else um i'm so sorry i'm i'm very passionate about making sure that we're making space for english as a second language and contextualizing these conversations to individuals who use English as a second language, um, mostly because there is an intense nuance to these conversations about establishing those relationships. Um, so I do want to um, host another couple of spaces about that eventually. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank you, Medians, for, uh, for coming up and, uh, and sharing your thoughts. Um, go ahead. <laughs> No, you're just fine. Thank you for coming up. Um, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm actually getting messages that you might be super duper robotic to the people that are uh, that are listening. Um, you are cutting off for for us a little bit. Um, okay. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, let's move on. Um, let's see. Do we want to go into the levels for permission marketing real quick and uh, contextualize that for uh, for NFTs, Black Label? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Okay. I think you have, you have those levels, right? No, I, I thought you did. Oh, okay, I'm great. Just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, so permission levels. Um, again, permission base is something that I champion. I think that it is very effective. Um, but it does mean recontextualizing what you do. And I think within a Web3 space, uh, innovating on top of what uh, is already available. 
Um, now, there are a couple of things that have already been done and are available um, within the, the second stage that we'll talk about a little bit. Um, however, I don't really see this system used in Web3. So if anybody wants help integrating this with uh, whatever their products they have, uh, I think this would be extremely effective. So um, there are five um, permission-based levels. Um, the first of which is called intravenous. This is essentially where the marketer, the artist, whoever, makes the purchase, um, purchasing decision, excuse me, on behalf of the customer. In other words, if you think about um, NFT passes, for example, where a collector buys for 0.2 ETH um, an unknown, um, I'm sorry, a, a series of unknown um, NFTs thereafter, um, you can think about that, that uh, intravenous marketing as that, that NFT pass. Um, Again, I'd, I'd really like to innovate on top of that and see what else is available. But essentially what it is, you make the purchasing decision on behalf of whoever your collector is. Um, and then on top of that, stage two is that purchase on approval. This is where your collector pays an advanced, but doesn't necessarily use the product or service. So again, it, it is that like prescription based um, product or whatever it is. Um, however, where the heavy duty um, profiting comes from, um, sorry, not profiting necessarily, excuse me, investment on your point, um, comes from the fact that this is largely passive meaning you do not have to do upkeep on this. Um, you do not have to produce anything thereafter. You basically like make a product, like a book, um, for example, um, and you sell that to people based on their approval. Um, so like, for example, um, you guys know about the creative industry, so let me just use that. Um, intravenous for me would be um, packaging my, my memberships um, for you. And then thereafter, when I finish a workbook or something like that, um, uh, when you approve of that workbook, when you want that particular workbook, I would sell that to you thereafter. Um, there's also a stage three, excuse me, stage three is that loyalty point system. Um, again, I really want to see this in Web3. Um, this is where your customer buys more of a product or service in response to the incentives that you give them. Um, so I don't know, like a, a real world example, um, air miles, loyalty cards, gamification, which is coming uh, to, to my system here very soon. Um, effectively, what it is, is um, creating a bridge between all of the different levels or memberships or um, ways that we can think about a, a point system um, so that your collectors can grow with you somehow, grow, um, grow their collection with your art. Not really sure what that looks like just yet, um, but very interested with, uh, with that Web3 element. The fourth one is brand trust. This is where a trustworthy name um, can take you, you know, 50 years to build um, and can be stretched out. But it's, it's that advocacy stage. It is when um, you are effectively leveraging the advocacy that you have due to that opportunity swap. Um, just in case you guys are, are new in the space and uh, miss that opportunity swap conversation, an opportunity swap is everything that I want to be and everything that I want your art to be. It is where I am not offering you another workshop. I am not here to just offer you another fucking Twitter workbook. No, no. I offer you a completely different experience, a completely different product, and a completely different 
style of learning um, as well as content that I deliver to you. Um, so that that opportunity switch is not more of the same, but in a different package, but a completely different vehicle for people to get into. Um, and by offering people um, that opportunity switch, that brand trust and that advocacy is staggeringly effective. Um, and that last part, um, is going to be situation. Um, this is an opportunistic offer that you provide to somebody. So if you were to, so uh, collectors in your DMs, they're interested in purchasing something. You say, oh, cool. So you want to buy my 1-1, uh, my huh? Well, uh, if you buy my 1-1, you, uh, you want some fries with that, basically? Um, it's offering them something on top of whatever you're about to provide to them. Um, I actually named this something, um, stack slide. Um, a stack slide is essentially where you are packaging a couple of different products that you have into a single package. And usually what you want to do for anybody who's looking for a formula, usually what you want to do is make sure that the total value of the package, so the total real world value of a package is 10 times the amount of what somebody will uh, will actually end up spending with you. Um, so for example, if you have an NFT, well, let's see. Uh, let's say you've got uh, two NFTs, uh, a print, and some sort of like consult or like, I don't know, one-one with somebody, um, with a collector who wants to buy you. Um, you have effectively stacked all of those products into one package, right? That one package is worth two ETH. Cool. What are you going to sell it to them for? Well, by this formula, it should be, um, what is that? Like 0.2 ETH, right? <laughs> my math right. I already forgot what I said. Um, I think it's a uh, 0.2 ETH, um, which yeah, isn't worth much right now. And I recognize that. So I'm not necessarily like follow the, uh, the 10 times Bible um, because I do think that it works better in um, like grossly packaged situations where we're using passive income rather than that active income. Um, however, that is a tried and true and very effective method of upselling people essentially to buy more from you. Um, and that is the the permission based levels. Um, any questions or anything about that, friendos? No, I think that's it's pretty straightforward. I think that um, I like the idea of making sure that what you're providing is worth more than what you're charging for. And I think that's really important, too. I, In my history of working with clients on the ad side of things, that's something I always thought about in terms of where to lead them um, on what types of services is going to be actually valuable for them. For example, like SEO, for example, right? We're like, traditionally SEO takes a really long time to turn around any type of actual return. And some clients that that just wasn't the right move for them because maybe it would cost them 10, 15, $20,000 in SEO services over a period of six, eight, 10, 12 months. But the return on that, if they're selling small little, you know, trinkets or something that's like $2 profit each time, it, it just doesn't make sense to do that. They're not going to get a return. But if it's a, you know, like a, let's say, for example, like a legal office or someplace that does really super high end, you know, $500 an hour consulting or something, it's absolutely worth doing it for them. And they end up getting 10x the value out of it. So I think that as you're looking at it through the lens of NFTs or things of that nature, regardless of what the service is, if you're going to lead them on a path that's going to allow those people to create more value for what they have, um, try to keep that measured. Oh, did you get rugged? 
Ripping pepperonis, black label. Oh no. Now I have to entertain. Nate, are you entertaining? Be a valuable asset to a sorry. You got rugged there, friend. Um, you've been rugged right. for about the past 30 seconds. Oh, great. Cool. Um, am I here now? I assume. Maybe. Yes, you are. Okay, great. Um, in general, what I was saying was that the way that you go about providing value for people in this space as an artist or a creator in the NFT space, even if you're not offering them something else, like what, what Kino is talking about is like providing a service for businesses or creatives to make more money. But if you're in the business of selling art, like that's like a hard thing to equate, right? Because it's, it's like, well, what is it? How is it that them buying my piece of work is going to be 10x the value? Well, you do that by continuing to build your brand and to grow your network and to sell things at a higher price. And then six months later, they're able to resell your work for 10x. And so I think that I just had a 10x secondary sale a week or two ago. And so that person sold what they bought from me for 10 times the value. That's a perfect example of how I was able to provide them with something that was worth 10x later. Um, so there's different ways to kind of apply it to what you're doing. Yeah, that's stupidly effective. I didn't even think about that um, with uh, secondary sales, how stupidly effective packaging um, a single NFT and offering it for, yeah, that that 10 times amount. Um, but again, I, I do want to stress that um, stack sliding or, or packaging um, a couple of different products into one, um, I want to make sure that you you hear me when I say try your best to make those passive income. Um Mostly because, you know, I don't want you guys to spend X amount of time uh, actively pursuing um, or actively, excuse me, um, using your time. Uh, oh, we're almost at uh, an hour and 40 minutes. That's why my brain is going dead. Excuse me. Um, I, I don't want I, I want to make sure that I, again, like passive passive income is that gateway to wealth and that means not using your time to make money but using your time to create something one time that you can continue to resell now imagine you have a multitude of products that you can package with a multitude of other products all of which are passive income that is nuts that is crazy i am waiting for somebody to master it please do um god it's amazing um anyway um bop, 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 bop. um yeah we are god i just realized uh we're almost an hour and a half in and we uh didn't get to the the open q and a um we we did want to explore an open q and a this time just in case anybody has any questions about uh algorithm um any other marketing questions content questions profile questions for us um, so if, uh, if black labels okay with it, we'll finish up this conversation. Um, but if anybody wants to roll up here with any questions that they have, um, you're more than welcome to, uh, to request. Um, but yeah, black label, is there anything that we want to, um, cover while, uh, while people are coming up regarding, uh, these three types of marketing? I think it just goes back to being genuine. I, I know we've talked about this a lot with within almost every type of marketing chat. We can speak on the idea of being genuine. And I think that sometimes there's just this misconception that you um, have to sell what you're doing. And that's true, but you have to do it in a genuine way. And there's a difference between you know doing it in a cold um, kind of approach that you're just trying to get something out of somebody and and doing it in a genuine way. And I think that no matter what you're doing, when you do it in a genuine way, it just becomes more potent. It's not a matter of being nice or something. It's just, it becomes significantly more potent. 
And as you attract people to what you're doing, um, you know, don't be afraid if someone's not attracted to what you're doing, because then they're not going to be your buyer anyways. You want to, you want to court and curate um, and nurture the relationships with people that are going to be attracted to what you have to offer from a genuine perspective. And they'll be your, they'll be long-time relationships with you um, as long-time clients, long-time customers because of that. Um, and so I think that's just really important. And you, you can put that into every single style of marketing and approach that we just, that we just spoke about. Um, and it's just as accurate with any of them. I, you know, I shit on, ironically I, I shit on marketing a lot especially when it comes to my own and I'm not necessarily looking forward to the next step of what I am going to engage in which is a lot of content a lot of extroversion a lot of connectivity um, mostly because that's not natural for me necessarily um, but at the same time I subscribe to the idea that if you're not having fun with marketing it's not that you're not doing it right necessarily, uh, but you're not doing it right for you. And I, I think that um, like making those relationships with your dream customer, your dream collector um, is an enormous part of that fun. Um, and Blackley, what we actually um, were talking about yesterday, I thought it was you. Um, oh God, ADHD. It's been almost an hour and 42 minutes. My brain is rugging. Um, we were talking about our dream customer and pivoting. It was pivoting, um, pivoting how we talk about um, our products uh, within our marketing in order to attract uh, those, those dream collectors. Um, and I thought that that was a really good conversation that we should have uh, publicly. Um, do you want to share what your thoughts are real quick with that? Yeah, I think it, it goes to the idea that um, everyone's a little bit different. And I think that people's purpose are different. And you have to, especially in this space, when it comes to Web3 stuff, like it, it, it's a crazy environment because everyone kind of has a different perspective. And so unfortunately, I think this is a bit of a negative thing in the sense that because you have to kind of adapt and adopt to all these different kinds of things. Otherwise you're missing a large portion of the way that you can go about marketing to different people. Or I should say you're missing a portion of the market that you can market towards. And so I think that as you go towards trying to attract um, these different, what I would call buyer personas, right? Um, they are, they're going to have a different way that they want to be spoken to. You have in the Web3 world, you've got like the DGEN PFP crowd, right? That's been here for a couple of years doing their thing. They've gotten burned a couple of times. You know, they've had people rug on them. They've, they've gone through all this stuff. Like that's a very specific type of persona. They have a completely different mindset. Um, I was actually on a show or a space, um, I think it was last Sunday night, with a crowd of of those um, of that market, if you if you will, and I was a featured artist on there, and that conversation was completely different, and had a completely different vibe, completely different mentality as any of the ones that we typically have here in this space, or ones that I do with the new Renaissance, and like it's a completely different thing, and so therefore you have to kind of adapt like what you're talking about, where like I can't. You know, in, in an AI art space, I can speak to my methodology and my expression and, the, and the, what I'm doing with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And then in this space, I can talk to how I'm marketing those things and the way that I'm going to sell those things and my methodology and the way that I look at it behind the curtain. And then in like a DGEN PFP world of things, I'm going to speak to how much, how much more my pieces are going to be worth later. It's an investment point. I'm an investment funnel as an artist. Like you better go into what I have going on. I've got a roadmap on my site right now. If you 
can go look at how much valuable this is going to be later. If you're interested to go check it out. And like that, that is the perspective. And so I'm talking about the same thing every single time. I may be speaking on the same thing every time, but my methodology and approach to how I go about speaking those things are going to be adoptive towards um, the crowd in which I'm speaking to or the individual in which I'm speaking to. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of being aware of those things. And I think some people miss, and I wouldn't say it is a mistake, but it's a missed opportunity when they go into a space or something and just try to like shill their workout because nobody cares, like literally no one cares. So you have to be able to provide value once again and be genuine about that. And in doing so, I think you'll, you'll win the day because I think there's, I think that's a huge thing that people don't really get. They just want to get their name out there and get some engagement and get, you know, get their, their flag and on the Hill and that's okay. But there's a lot more value that can be added. And when in doing so you end up growing a base and a community around what you're doing, which makes you more, of an investment asset. It makes you somebody that people want to actually invest in because they see a future. They're not like, oh, this person's just making this one thing and they're out. They're making something for the long term. They're building a community. And I think that's what some people see with my brand, with what I'm doing and what you're doing, Kino, as well, and others that are here in this room, is that you're building a community around what you're doing. And that's a foundation. That's a foundational asset to what you're growing in the future. And so as you speak to these people and you kind of put it in their perspective and the language in which they're speaking, you're just going to have more and more conversions and better relationships as you go. Yeah, you said asset. Um, <laughs> I want to take care of uh, the, the hearts in the room real quick um, because I, I do see that there is a fear around pivoting, um, especially when we're talking about pivoting to attracting a single buyer persona. Because I think that we feel like our focus um, is too narrow, which, you know, monkey brain thinks that that means less people, therefore less chance. So if I just post into the void, that automatically means that I like I have better chances at getting discovered when it's very clear that the opposite is true. Um, now, I do want to add context to this. If you do have a large account, and I do consider a large account to be um, about 18K and over, um, this advice is very different. So do not listen to me. Um, for anybody who is under approximately 18K, um, you actually do absolutely increase your chances of getting discovered by more people if you fish in the blue sea with the correct bait for whoever your collector is. And of course, um, that has everything to do with those collector values and personas. But like Black Label was saying, how you talk to them, how you connect with them, um, the, the multitude of other points that, uh, that, that were made. Um, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a uh, existential crisis with uh, this conversation too, because um, <laughs> the, the future where the creative industry is going, um, I am going to attempt to very heavily help a lot of people contextualize all of these things, um, starting with uh, with my members. So basically what I'm going to do um, is have some new beta tests coming out. Um, the last beta test that I had was the algorithm workflow, um, which is now patent pending because it was so fucking effective. Um, and I'm going to have a, a public version of that one soon. Um, but the next one that I want to do has everything to do with this conversation in a way that heavily personalizes um, your marketing in a way that um, makes a lot more sense than I think we can have in a, a space. 
um, mostly because when we're up here talking about how to do a marketing good and the different kinds of marketing um, that are available to you, um, it's still frustrating, or at least I feel frustrated. So maybe I'm, I'm um, projecting, but I'm frustrated because there is so much more context, I feel, that we can add to this conversation. But it's very hard to do that without analyzing one of you at a time, for example. Um, so I just encourage all of you um, who are listening um, of course, like take bits and pieces about what we're saying home with you, put them in your pocket. Um, but use what works for you. Um, this is not gospel up here. Um, a lot of what we're talking about needs to be contextualized and especially personalized. Um, so again, like especially for the introverts out there, um, when we're talking about relationship and making those uh, those connections, I just want to make sure that I am making space for um, the different hearts, the different brains. Um, and the different ways that we engage with our community. Um, so like experiment, um, you're more than welcome to ask me questions on Discord um, about the, the workflows, how to make something work for you, like whatever. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to uh, wanted to say that really, really quick. Um, there was a question real quick. Oh God, I totally forgot about a friend who asked a question. Oh my God. Um, while I'm looking for the other question, um, Black Label Charlotte has a, a question for you. Um, she says, uh, also playing with chat GPT. Ah, I love it. Um, what do you see as best new uses for ChatGP for marketing our creative work? So effectively, the question is, um, what do you think about uh, AI in uh, the future of marketing? Well, um, ChatGPT is going to it's going to save time. I can probably say it's probably one of the best elements of it i think it's it's almost it's hard to even wrap your head around what the capabilities are as someone who's been in the generative ai space now for a little over a year i've got a pretty good understanding of these things we talk about it a lot in other spaces and the community that i'm involved in every this is the conversation all the time so i feel like i've got my head wrapped around it and within five minutes of playing with chat GPT, it blew my mind. So I think it's hard to like, it's hard to even like contextualize um, the ability. I think that at the end of the day, you're looking at a highly advanced system that's going to give you output based on your input. I think that, um, you know, I kind of tongue in cheek made a post earlier. Um, I asked it to give me a, um, a manifesto uh, towards the entire human race about its desires and wishes for the future. Um, and I kind of asked it to give it to me from the perspective of a sentient AI as like a joke. Um, and it still is based on input output, you know, and I think that there's a huge element of that that's going to play a part in the way that you create content. So when you're talking about marketing or creating email content or blog post content, you can utilize tools like these to save a ton of time. I've worked with stuff like Jasper, which is another kind of content creating, uh, like a written content creating um, AI. And it's okay. Um, but this, there's something about the chat GPT that gives you this sense of realness. Like you can't, like any, and I've been involved in several AI projects over the years that are like AI written material. I, I was partnered with a couple, um, like I think two different AI startups a couple years back one specifically in 2018 that was trying to create a news site 
um, that would be all the written content would be made from AI in order to try and um, not have bias in the news reporting that it did. At the time, I thought it was like, it's an interesting concept, but I wasn't sure they'd ever be able to achieve it because, you know, where does it pull that information from? That's really the question. And I think that all AI written material that I've seen before tends to have a sense of for lack of a better word, like a robotic voice, you know, so to speak, like you're reading through it, like, yeah, I mean, it's written content. I could go in and modify some stuff and I could roll with it. But this, like, it, it, you cannot tell the difference between this and a human writing it. Um, and that to me is a gold mine for writing content. Um, when you can write a blog post in about 20 seconds, as long as you have an idea to tell it and you know how to speak to it, you can get that content really quickly. And so I think that, the, the time to completion for a lot of things is getting to the point where it's almost instantaneous. When I can create a masterpiece in 15 seconds, because I know how to make prompting um, for you know AI art type things, I can make a masterpiece in 15 seconds and I can write a blog post about that piece in 15 seconds. Now I've spent you know a minute or two putting these things together um, and packaging it up. And that saves me like five weeks you know, and so I think it's a very interesting, the whole thing, all of it, whether it's art or content or written stuff or 3D stuff or animation or film or audio, any of these things that are being affected by the immersion and infusion of AI in the technology is going to, in my belief, empower more and more people to have access to these things, to create what's inside their mind in a way that allows them to execute at scale and to have high volume and hopefully save time. My only disclaimer to that is I don't know if it's saving time at all for me because it's all that I can do. So like, instead of grow, oh, yeah, I can create a piece in 15 seconds. Well, I end up making a thousand pieces in a day. So it's, it's a weird, there, there's a weird kind of back and forth there. I think in general, it helps to save time, but it also consumes my time because it's all that I really want to do is keep rolling the, the dice and, and making amazing things with it because it allows you to make so many amazing things so fast. So it, it's a, it's a weird thing, but in general, I think it's going to help people you know, create a lot of really powerful content very quickly. Um, and I, there's some, I can debate the ethics or moral grounds for some of those things. Um, but in general, I think that's sort of how I see it helping marketing specifically. There's a really long winded answer, but that's, that's how that, those are my thoughts. No, perfect. Um, that I'm going to get to your question next. Um, but want to say two things first. Um, I think it's wild that, um, <laughs> you know, millionaire founders and uh, big people with really comfy couches um, have been using AI to generate their content for a very long time. Um, and now it is become accessible. Um, I, I do absolutely respect it as part of the future uh, for, for content for, for everybody. Um, at least, I mean, no, no, I'm not saying that like AI art is what everybody's going to use, but for generating content like blogs, for example, um, generative websites, like there are a million different paths that we can go down um, as far as AI uh, technology is concerned. Um, further, I want to very specifically gush at Charlie real quick. I'm very happy to see you in my space and I love you. Um, also, hi, Christoph. Hi, Joe, Tana, uh, Brian. I think I said hi to you already, but I'm going to say hi again. Um, Animate, go ahead. Hey, what's up, friends? Kino, Black Label. Uh, love Hello. the conversation, as always. Um, the specific question that was just brought up about uh, text AI really had me thinking. I know there's a lot of conversation about like long form generation, but has anyone like asked AI to create really clever tweets? 
like I would imagine like short jokes or something like that would be uh, pretty effective with something like that. I actually, it's, it's really funny. You should ask that because I asked that earlier. I asked it to write me the most viral tweet ever on AI art. And it did. I, I refreshed the page. So unfortunately I don't have it to read off of it, but I, I have done that. I think, I think it's interesting. And, and it, it was sort of, I don't know, kind of felt a little weak, um, but maybe I could get something out of it if I pushed it. <laughs> well, there actually is a Twitter bot though. Um, basically what you can do, I don't remember what it's called. So I'm going to have to look through my uh, horde of uh, bookmarks. Um, but there, there is a, a bot where you can basically program in a name of somebody and that bot will spit out a litany of tweets that they might tweet. Um, so yeah, something like that already exists. I just I don't remember what it's called. Um, was that your, does that answer your question, Animate? It, it does. And, and really, it makes me think of like, are we headed towards a future where sure, long form, sure, opinions uh, can be like augmented or maybe get like a starting point from from like a, an AI um, creation. But are, are we going to see like, you know, I, I set up on my computer and like like Black was saying, you know, I can create art in 15 seconds. I can create text in 15 seconds. Let's say I want to batch that up and I want to create a thousand really crazy pieces of artwork and a thousand really crazy tweets. And then I have said AI choose through them and pick what I would think would be my favorites. And then I send that to Hootsuite. And now all of a sudden I have this automated machine that is just pumping out content and images and thoughts and ideas that are like kind of flavored by me or steered by me at least. But now I can do it to, I go back to my analogy of being like Doc Ock from Spider-Man. Now I have all these like robotic arms that can go out in all directions in uh, you know, liminal space. And then just like whole crap to me really quickly. Like, does that make it like less, I don't know, like valuable or fun or <laughs> I go back to my, the, the struggle of, uh, decoupling time spent and value and art and things like that. But uh, it's, it's very interesting. I hadn't thought of it in terms of short form like that. So that really opened my mind up today. Yeah, I, that's, it's, I, I, it's funny that you should go through that because that's literally what I was thinking here in the last, um, in the last hour or so, or last couple of hours since I was, I've, I haven't played with, I've seen it everywhere. I've seen people do amazing things with like, even just like create app code and stuff. It's absolutely it's like, write me, write me PHP code for blah, blah, blah. And it writes the whole thing or like the genetic sequence of blah, 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 blah. And it does, it, it's, it's unbelievable. But then you turn it into the direction like that. You, you change the eye of Sauron of the AI towards marketing. And it's like a, it's like a big, holy shit moment for me. I look at it and I go, wow, like this is, crazy because you could do all everything you just said is exactly what i was thinking you create a crm hookup within like you you uh take a version of this probably in a couple months when you can integrate it with siri or alexa and you're able to use your phone and say hey alexa use chat gpt to create a marketing campaign over the next 30 days that will have a three page click funnel based around selling my nft project and i want you to launch that on twitter through email marketing and take my email list and give them a direct buy link done now it like that is that is quite literally a potential future for us is literally doing that now i just created a massive marketing campaign that would have taken a 20 person team to do all the artwork all the promotions all the tweets all the handwritten stuff that would be over email or a, a click funnel page can all be done with ai really quickly in a matter of maybe minutes or five minutes you'd have all that material and you just press go and that's it and that that to me is like insane like that's crazy 
Yeah, and if anybody is interested in experimenting um, with uh, content generative uh, AI, um, I recommend uh, copy.ai. Um, that one, I think you can write like 10,000 words or something like that for free um, and uh, like basically write out a blog and, uh, and see how it works. Um, it's a copy.ai, um, I'm pretty sure is, uh, is the link. Um, yeah, if anybody needs a link, let me know. Um, Bat, I want to answer your question finally. Um, Bat has asked if I could kindly ask my question here. Um, isn't the quote unquote best marketing strategy a subjective concept? And I want to pause there before I ask the rest of it. Um, absolutely. Yes. Um, we've talked about it a couple of times, so I don't want to, uh, to broken record it. Um, but yeah, I want to make sure that while I am up here, uh, I don't want your collectors to hear me. I want them to hear you. You and I want you to respect your headspace, your lifestyle, and all of the beautiful things that make you you. Um, and what is best for you is not something that I can prescribe for you. Um, so that's why I'm bringing three of them to the table as well as um, contextualizing their workflows a little bit um, so that you can understand like what opportunities are available so that you can experiment with them. Um, because yes, the best marketing strategy is 100% subjective. Um, the second question is, uh, I'm making a book about truths I've found while evolving myself and I plan to sell it. What method would you use to build a community around it? Um, Black Label, I kind of want you to go off on this, but I actually want to pause because every single creative, every single author, every single person in Web3 tends to think that they have to build a community. Um, so before we, before, like if that, if, if we were to sit down and have this conversation, the first question that I would ask you is why you think that you need to build a community around it. Um, because you don't, you absolutely don't. Um, you can have advocates without having a community. Um, and I, I just don't want to pile on yet another hat on every single artist. Um, who thinks they have to have a discord, they have to manage a community, they have to like lead people to the promised land when you don't have to do that. Um, because like I said, the best marketing strategy is subjective and community is a part of marketing. It is a method of keeping people within your ecosystem. Um, so to that, um, just you don't have to have a community. Um, it can be very effective, yes. Um, but it is not necessary. I just want to make sure that that's very, very clear. Um, but yeah, Black Label, do you um, have any takes about um, which method to build a community um, for an author um, or any any kind of a creative would be um, potentially the most effective? Uh, I was gonna I was gonna make a joke and say step one, build a community, but I guess. how dare you? <laughs> how dare you in my space? Um, just, uh, I just, think oh, that fuck, you have to. That Hold on. Um, I think that you have to feel it out. That's probably the worst advice. I, I, it's you have to. So, okay, you're trying to create a, um, you know, a, a book based on experiences and everything else, and you have to, in order to do that and resonate with people. You have to find the people who resonate. My very first question would be, if we were to sit down, as, as Kino just said, I would sit down and talk to you and, see, and ask, you know, ask this question, do you need to build a community? My very first question would be, where's your target audience? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? 
Are they on Snapchat? Are they on Facebook? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they reading blogs? You know, what is the predominant location in which your target audience exists at? Because with the answer of that question comes the answer of other things. Because if it's on Twitter, then you might have to build a community because that's sort of how it works. If it's on Instagram, you don't need a community at all. You just need advocates and people that follow you and just going to want to be engaged in whatever the content is you're putting out because Instagram tends to want to deliver content to people on like Twitter. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's that. Are they people that are involving themselves in larger projects and they want to be able to talk to you every single day? Well, maybe you should have a Discord if that's the case. And so I think that it's a matter of who is it that's going to resonate with those things. Um, I have a colleague of mine who's building a brand around working with families and specifically like coaching fathers and things like that. And his entire market is on Instagram and Facebook. Like he has no reason to be on Twitter. He has a Twitter account, but it's not, that's not the conversation point for it or the, the, you know, the platform for that type of conversation. And so his entire focus 100% is between Facebook and Instagram. And that's where he's getting traction. Where in like the other locations, it's not, he has a TikTok, but no one really cares about that. He's tried Twitter. No one really cares about that. But those are the places that seems to be the most potent for that subject matter, just as having an NFT project or an art one-to-one Web3 project is the potency point for an engagement and community building is on Twitter for that, because that just happens to be the place where everyone is for it. So I think it depends on where your target audience is. And the answer to that is the answer for how you should go about doing it. So I actually think it's a bit of a trick question um, because community to me is usually a value add. It is a commodity. It is I hesitate to say a product, um, but it, it, it's a value add to what you provide to people. Um, so effectively, I don't necessarily think that it's part of the uh, a marketing system, um, but a, a value add or something that you can package. Um, in order to grow that, though, yeah, in order to grow that, I think that you need a funnel. Um, and a funnel, again, is a completely different can of worms that uh, that we're not going to open in the next eight minutes that we have. Um, but yeah, I, I think the community is a value add, um, which is garnered within a funnel um, rather than something that is necessarily part of a marketing strategy. Would you agree with that? It's a little bit of a hot take, I feel, but... Um. I think I, I don't know. It, it depends on what it is. That's where that's the that's the the rub, I guess, is that it just depends on what it, it depends on. It's not necessarily depends on what it is, but it depends on what it is and where your market is like those. Those are the two pieces. If you want to have a formula of how to market to someone, that's after the equal sign of the what it is and where they are adding together. That's how I look at it. Like the, you know, the variable one is what it is that you're selling. Variable two is who your buyer persona is and where they're located, where they spend a lot of their time at. And the equal sign equals how you should market to them. Um, those are the two things that you have to identify first. And I think everyone, regardless of what you're doing, you should identify who your buyer persona is. That's like a you know, corporate branding marketing term, but it, it's it's very simple. It's it's the persona of who your buyer is. Who is it that is your target demographic? Um, and inside that buyer persona is where they're located. Maybe that's geographic. If you have a physical location, or if it's online, it's online location. Where where do they spend their time? And you look at these things as demographics or personality types or what their interests are. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, but again, that also depends on what you're doing. So I, I, my answer is it depends. And that's a horrible answer, but that's that I believe to be the true answer, really.
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I don't want to kick it around in the next five minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I just think of uh, community as, again, a commodification is, is the wrong word, I feel, but a, a value add. Um, most specifically because, I mean, you know, I, I say it all the time, um, you either die a hero or you live long enough to monetize your audience. Um, and uh, it's it's uh, like it, 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 it is a pool of, of target audience, like, of course, but first you have to garner it. You have to attract, you have to funnel people in there. And thereafter, it, it's just like a Rolodex, it's, it's a value add, you know? Um, so there's like all kinds of angles, I think, that we can analyze what a community is. Um, but yeah, I think that that would be a really interesting conversation um, at a later time. Um, Median, I don't think we're going to bring anybody else up because we've got five minutes, if that's okay. Um, if you want to DM me with your question, um, that would be great. Um, but yeah, in the next five minutes, uh, do we have anything else to uh, address in this space black label? I think it's, this has been an interesting one because I think, you know, typically we have a lot of people come up, kind of ask questions or we do bio audits, that sort of thing. I know we, we took this in a more like lecture type of thing. And I hope, I hope everyone got value out of it. That's really kind of the lesson of today, I think is just like providing value and being genuine. And you're, you're listening to an example of that, an attempted example of that by Kino and I today with this. And this is some pretty complicated, it can be complex um, type of subject matter. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to, there's one thing taking it from theory and then the other thing is putting it into action. And the, the variable in these formulas is you and it's what you're doing and it's, it's the project you have or the art you're making or whatever it is that you're doing. That's the variable. So that's going to have an effect on all the other aspects of the equation. Um, all the different methodologies and the way you're talking to people and where you're talking to them and how you're doing the funnel and all these things are going to be affected by and influenced really by the thing that you're doing and who you are as a person or a brand. And so I think it's important, like keeping that stuff in mind, being genuine to that thing, because that is probably whatever that is for you is probably the biggest differentiator that you have. Um, against anyone else in the market that's doing something similar. It's who you are. It's the art you create, the brand that you have, the thing that you're making that's different, and just you as a person, you're a unique individual. And so that in itself is going to be the differentiator. So stay true to that. Stay true to the thing that you're passionate about. Um, and if you're an artist, like always express yourself, you know, the way that you feel like it. And then that's going to be the thing that's unique. That's your fingerprint, you know, and then all the other methodologies kind of fall into place once you start applying that to what you're doing. Marketing should be fun and relationships should be fun and we should not be spending our nine to five slash 16 hour days uh, slogging through this. And um, I really do think that uh, everybody who experimenting is doing it right. But if you feel like your experimenting is hitting a wall or it's boring or it's just not working, um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, I very rarely come across a quote unquote bad artist. Um, your marketing is not failing because you are a bad artist or you are bad. Um, it usually has something to do with you not having fun marketing. And that's usually because we're not respecting, again, your headspace, your voice, like whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I want to absolutely echo what, uh, what Black Label was saying there um, with marketing should be fun. And if it's not, please reach out. Um, we can absolutely find a, uh, a solution there. 
Um, before we close this space, I forgot to say at the beginning of the space um, that I actually have a once in a blue moon algorithm update. Um, I am seeing a big change with uh, the suggested prioritization of posts on the timeline. What the fuck does that mean? Um, the algorithm categorizes content in nine different ways. Um, usually the suggested, oh my God, I think suggested is usually the third. Don't quote me on that. It's in the Twitter workbook. Um, I think it's it's third in the list, um, which means that basically uh, the, the algorithm is blending in um, content that is algorithmically adjacent to your interests, but not someone who you follow. Um, so again, if you think back to our last space with that uh, that chirpity, you know, circle upon circle upon circle um, that everybody likes to share, um, if you don't follow somebody who is in that circle, um, but you see their content, that means that you have heavy algorithmic, um, uh, excuse me, a heavy algorithmic relationship with them. Um, cool. But what I'm seeing is a little bit different and it does have widespread implication for everybody. Um, especially to, uh, to creators, I think, especially, especially in web three. Um, if you were in the conversation that we had yesterday about our, um, algorithmic circles and the very individualistic that web three has become, uh, this is probably the worst timing for this algorithm change. I'm not going to lie. Um, so although suggested, uh, is not new, it has always been part of that list. Uh, this does mean that people who follow you probably will see you less often, which means, and I don't want to like convert anybody and say, haha, I have the solution. Um, but please pay attention to your algorithm. Um, I am going to redeploy the algorithm workflow here soon. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like just yet, um, but I, I will have more resources out there. Um, and of course, like we can have conversations like this about it too. Um, but yeah, just make sure that you are taking the steps towards a healthy algorithmic bond with other people, um, engage with them, balance your DMs to timeline engagement, do all of that healthy, happy stuff. Um, because this change, I think, might be a little bit profound um, as far as that that following is um, uh, is concerned. Um, because following is like kind of like an algorithm bypass. We've talked about this before, but not quite an algorithm bypass. So having more suggested content filter through instead of your following uh, is a little bit bad news bears. Um, that said, I, I do think that uh, other than the algorithm workflow, I am working on a different solution to that um, because I don't think that DMs are the answer. I don't think that emails are the answer. Um, so I, I'm like doing some some back end experimenting with with something else. And I'll, I'll try to have more information on that as soon as I can. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Um, if, if you guys are seeing a profound change in your timeline, um, over the course of the past four days, I have absolutely seen a rollout, not just a test of these new parameters. So, um, uh, yeah, just I, I just want to normalize it and make sure that people know that uh, that this is happening. Um, Black Label, we uh, we good to go? I think so. I think I think we're good. Um, yeah, feeling good. Alrighty, righty um, So on that note, then, um, next Monday, I'm going to have another um, thinky thought big brain space. 
Um, I'm not 100% sure what the topic is going to be, but thank you guys for rolling out and supporting that one uh, yesterday. Um, that was a fantastic conversation. And um, selfishly, I, uh, I learned a lot from you guys. So, so thank you for that. Um, otherwise, same time next week with a new marketing topic from my friend O Black Label here. Um, follow him, please. He's very based, big brain, big brain guy. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next Tuesday, friends. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye.